Welcome to episode 32 of the PharmaExec podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor of PharmaExec magazine and our podcast host. PharmaExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. All right, so on this episode, we feature an interview from our European and online editor, Julian Upton, which he did at this year's I for Pharma Barcelona. He caught up with Johnson & Johnson's Dr. Jennifer Turgis. Dr. Turgis is the vice president of J&J's Behavior Science and Advanced Analytics Group, and Julian sat down and talked with her about applying science and behavioral strategies to the health and wellness-related solutions being developed throughout the J&J enterprise. So we're going to take a really quick break, and then we'll play Julian's interview. Have you ever wanted to submit an article to PharmExec? PharmExec publishes articles about strategy and tactics in the areas of enterprise management, product development and management, global marketing and advertising, regulatory affairs, sales management, customer communication tools, business, legal, and financial issues, trends, and the industry's relation with the healthcare delivery system. We're especially eager to publish articles that document proven innovations with specific reference to pharmaceutical companies and products. Some of our most successful contributed pieces have been based on original research conducted by companies. And of course, we're always looking for analyses of trends and issues in pharma. So if you're interested in submitting an article, visit pharmaexec.com today. Hello, listeners. As mentioned before, Julian sat down with one of J&J's VPs, to talk to her about her presentation at I for Pharma Barcelona. Julian, over to you. Thanks, Kristen. Yes, I was fortunate to catch up with Dr. Jennifer Turgis over at uh, I for Pharma Barcelona in March. Jennifer was one of the speakers there, and um, she is the Vice President, Behaviour Science and Advanced Analytics at Johnson & Johnson Health and Wellness Solutions. And uh, Dr. Turgis and her team of behaviour scientists are responsible for applying uh, proven science and practice-based behavioural strategies to key health and wellness-related solutions that are being developed throughout the J&J enterprise. So Dr. Turgis talked a lot about health behaviours and about the work of her team in the health and wellness solutions division. And so I began by uh, actually asking how did she define health behaviours? Our kind of point of view on that is that a behavior, or a particular health behavior, is something that's observable, something we see people do. Bit of a debate still in the psychology world that could include how people think, but we discount that. We're like, it just really okay. has to be something that we observe. So it might be our dietary habit, our okay. sleeping habit, our uh, smoking, our you know uh, adherence to a medication plan, seeing a physician. So everything that has to do either is a bank of you know building health yeah. Yeah. Uh, behaviors that build health behaviors that don't build health right <laughs> so it's all of those collection of things but they're definitely okay. observable um behaviors okay. things that people do actions and, and so with your division you're working uh, health and wellness solutions how is defining that or identifying them how is that helping you to you know to push forward with treatments and strategy so kind of backing up a little bit you know we're in a we all are pretty closely embedded in a behavior science field of research. Yeah. And we've got a toolkit of what we call behavior change techniques. And a lot of great work has been done with um, 
University of Central London's group, um, Center for Behavior Change and Susan Mickey, actually cataloging a lot of the, the techniques that one might use yeah. to, uh, that are well-known, established, proven in different theories, deli- yeah. usually delivered face-to-face. So we look at those as, our, our, here's what we, we know um, our techniques could be that, and how we influence behavior, but we go back to establish evidence that says on this particular outcome, with this population in mind, whether it might be helping someone with diabetes manage their mm-hmm. multiple behaviors that support that um, condition or someone with obesity, which once again has multiple behaviors. What do we know about that today? And we start with you know solid evidence in science and said, let's pick these six because yeah. they've been already established to be the most effective techniques out of the 100 that you could possibly pick okay. to be effective. And so we start building the intervention with that kind of what we call a minimum viable product of yep. what those techniques are that are embedded. So there are active ingredients that we put into a solution, that an intervention that okay. should have an effect because it's already been well established. And so, so that's step one. Can you talk about what, what you've done in that field? Any some examples of your your interventions of, of sure. To- you know, I mean, I think we um, one of our meat and potatoes that we always go to is is called a goal setting skill set, mm-hmm. and we have used that with patients who are preparing for surgery okay. and then recovering from surgery. So um, they're clearly um, you know uh, engaged in um, having. Um, you know, a surgical experience to fix part of their healthcare problem, but there's a lot that that outcome is dependent upon what they do around that. So we get their buy-in on what is this, why is this important to you? Um, we understand what the what we're trying to overall achieve within your health, but let's say we have a patient who um, is having their knees replaced because they're in great pain, and it will certainly um, improve their quality of life, but why is that important to you? Well, it's important to me because I want to get back to playing a sport that I always have loved. Yeah. It's important to me because I want to, um, you know, be able to go out on the weekends with my children, you know, to participate in things that we used to like to do. So there has to kind of tie the why you're doing this to one of their key motivations, and we keep that very forefront mm. in their mind as they're going through some really difficult times and wondering, like, why did I bother doing all this, at, particularly afterwards? So we use that key motivational factor to keep up in front. And then we have helped them build a plan about how they're going to go about accomplishing the things that um, their doctor would like to have them do. Okay. So it really it puts the, um, you know, the strategies into the hands of the patient yeah. to figure out then what am I going to do to accomplish what I know is going to be the best thing for me. We have them help track it and then give feedback and progress on how they're doing against it and give guidance against it. So that's a goal-setting skill set. So that's involved actually in one of our patient preparation for surgery and recovery. So this is a real case of going beyond the pill, really. You're right. taking on, really, a lot of HCP-type work. Is there, is there a, a, a sense of that alleviating the burden from healthcare professionals, or is this about what a company needs to do nowadays in order to, you know, to advance? Well, it's not, it's not quite the burden because most you know, of the healthcare professionals don't see or, or they're connected with their patient between the visits, yeah. right? Yeah. So it actually is supporting um, what the healthcare professional has recommended um, their patient to do, which is a bit out of, you know, once they've done their kind of more intensive work with the patient, this gives the patient tools to kind of keep managing on a daily basis, which most healthcare professionals don't have a bandwidth or time to to participate in. But we've also, um, you know, when we're in an acute episode like a surgical setting, we have a, you know, a platform that the surgeons and healthcare team uses that we actually let the surgeon teams know that we're this patient is actually having more difficulties actually in doing the things that you'd like to see them do. So they're actually connected in kind of a risk stratification way of that on what patients are doing. Um, 
And so they can actually play a role in reaching back out to the patient. Is there something I can help you with yeah. um, as a way to stay involved in between those visits to help the patient stay right. compliant? So is part of it is that we're doing another job that supports their um, objective with that patient in a different way. And um, there's also a way that they can stay connected to actually stay involved with the patient. I think one thing that came up from your presentation was a, a question that said, how can new technology apply to old health behavior issues. Mm-hmm. When, I mean, when I say old, I mean long-standing. So right. like obviously patient adherence being a, a long one. Right. Um, how would you respond to that? You know, how does new technology, you know, we can, we can sort of retrofit it? If you yeah. like, to some of these well, we have, um, you know, the chance now to kind of monitor, right? Our patients can monitor that what's happening day to day. We just heard a great, you know, example of that, that even within our phones, we can see kind of tracking physical activity, kind of our Uh, how we're moving across time, where we are, what the climate is that we're around. And so we know that context matters for a behavior to kind Mm -hmm. of happen. So that technology is helping us become more context relevant so that we, you know, don't put the one size fits all that, you know, here's the, here's the plan that works for everybody. And, you know, good luck, because we know that's not going to work for everybody. Um, So the technology can actually um, help us derive new insights that we've never had before in our toolkit that we can then use that technology to be more um, relevant for a group of patients that are um, involved in that particular intervention. And um, obviously technology is improving all the time. Um, the ability to get insights from it is, is, is improving. I wonder, with, you know, with, with your background and with, with the kind of behavioral insight element, how do you balance technology and behavioral insight? There's mm-hmm. a human side to that, obviously, that is more difficult to to, to, tr- to to program technology to do. No, that's right. That's a good point. I think that one of the things that technology um, insights can gather for us is which patients or individuals prefer to work with humans, right, uh, as part of their intervention. Who wants to work with professional humans? Who wants to work with other people like me, humans and how do we help connect them because that's also the tool the the power of technology is actually helping connect people Mm -hmm. um so if we have we're finding one of the big um um, opportunities um particularly with patients in recovery is that connecting and talking with other patients who have had this kind of similar type of surgery could actually be a very strong um you know uh more information so it's a way to kind of get information how did you cope with this or um they can also be an emotional support you know just hang in there because in one week i found that symptoms got a lot better so there's a lot of ways that other patients and using technology to bring people together can actually um, support individuals yes absolutely yeah and how how would you say that the success your success is 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 measured how how do you measure how what you've you know achieved do you hit certain targets are certain targets are quantifiable targets that you can that you can reach, or are you just in a, a, a more more free reign, perhaps, to, to 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 sort of deal with patients on this human level? Well, we're always, you know, on the objective delivering the change in the behavior, yeah. right? So, did this intervention yeah. change behavior in whatever the way that it was seeking to do so? So, we're always measuring against, you know, how how effective yeah. or efficient that we were in accomplishing that, yeah. um, and that's typically against what we have today mm-hmm. right so it has to do better than what we already have yeah. um, as a comparison okay. or you know with individuals who um, have you know 
I'm going to use physical activity as one example. So we, you know, do work. We've done, and so part of this is in live products, and some of this is in R&D, which we're actually kind of, you know, working behind the scenes with testing these um, models out. Um, so we'll take individuals who have n no physical activity, and are we actually able to take people who are of no physical activity to become physically active? Yeah. And we try different techniques to test kind of how that works, but we're also using it to build our data science models. Okay. So the back part of this will be how smart can the systems be to help to predict you coming into the system and what might be your best solution set for you based upon other people that have come before you. Yeah. So it um, ultimately the systems will get much smarter the more people that they see yeah. and that we can start determining you know what we think is the best path forward for you there's also this idea of the GPS for health so you know um, oftentimes when you work on a behavioral intervention you put a plan together say here's kind of what I want to do when I want to do it and I'm going to do this for over the next month and so there's a very clear layout of what what that strategy is going to be sometimes people follow that completely and then therefore they stay on the path yeah. um, but other times they veer off to the right. And so then the, can the system actually detect that you veered off to the right and get you back on a different yeah. path? It might not be the same path that you yeah. started, but yeah. you're trying to still work toward the same goal, yeah. it, now using a revised pathway to get there. Yeah. So that, that's how people really work, is uh, that we yeah. constantly problem solve and say, okay, that wasn't necessarily the right way to go about it. However, I'm going to give it this shot instead, right, and kind of pursue it that route. Yeah. So oftentimes you know, we are challenged even understanding ourselves, right? Because tactics that we had once used in the past that were effective for us, there might be children that have arrived on the scene, a new job that's arrived, a new yeah. travel. So we're, we're always having to adapt and adjust. Every week I've got to go out for exercise and find reason not to. Not to. <laughs> that's so, right. It's usually not work even and busy. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yes. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an uphill battle to get people to change behavior sometimes, yeah. isn't it? But uh, just to end, really, and to end on the point that you ended on with, with something like, if you could just change, say, adherence by 1%, mm -hmm. you're right. making a big difference. Uh, is that some sort of, is that a target, a realistic target, for example, for your, for your division? Are you going to look towards, say, we want to achieve that, or, or, or are you going to set yourself that kind of goal if you talk about adherence in a particular therapy area, for example? Yes, we do. Would yep. you you'll be doing that saying, yep. this is a, and what kind of what timeline would you give yourself for that? Always? Well, you know, it depends on, you know, the, the claim and the outcome that you want to make, because now we're back in kind of the, you know, clinical measurement um, uh, states. And so... Depending on the behavior that you're after, you can, physical activity, for example, you can probably start getting a good indication within six weeks, right? Other ones where we're looking at, you know, did we increase, um, so this compliance with the surgery um, care plan, for example, that may take us two years to get to the end point of, you know, and then what happened with changes in uh, length of stay at the hospital, readmissions into um, skilled nursing facilities, et cetera. So those can take um, two years yeah. to kind of get to that level of rigor mm -hmm. where we can say we move the needle by 1% yeah. or 2% as compared to the yeah. old standard of and care. And of course, if you're measuring adherence and somebody's got a long-term condition, then you've got to look, follow them for the long, a long term. You can't just yep. say, well, they, they adhered for three weeks. That's right. And that's it. It's changed. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. Then <laughs> so, change happened. Yeah. Um, so we kind of think about it in, in a couple of different uh, phases. So there's adoption of the behavior, so starting one. Okay. Yeah. Right, and so that that kind of upstart and getting that going yeah. requires a bit of a different yeah. set of tactics, and then there is the continuing on, um, and we use different tactics different depending of... upon where you are, okay. um, in the, in the in the in that kind of uh, space. And for some individuals, you know, to stop starting, stop starting, 
all the time is actually a very natural rhythm for yeah. them, and that's the way that they that's kind of maintain yeah. kind of some level of, of physical activity. There's a, there's a very kind of misunderstood idea that um, there's kind of you know permanent behavior change. Like yeah. we're going to just reach that, yeah. and then you can just shut it off because now we've achieved behavior change, and it doesn't actually work like that in real life. <laughs> so yeah. there's always incremental. Maybe the best you can hope for in a way. Isn't it? Absolutely, is yeah. So that was Jennifer Turgis there talking about her work uh, in the Johnson Johnson Health and Wellness Solutions Division. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. Hello, I'm Matt Wallach, co-founder and president of Viva Systems. And my best advice for leaders is to not be afraid to be different. In the development of Viva, our investors and people interviewing at the company and customers and friends of the company all were telling us that we were doing things wrong because we were not doing them the same as what people had seen before. But what we found over time was that in our ability to do things differently, we were able to do many things better than what was expected. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmExec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at PharmExec.com, on Twitter at PharmExec, on Instagram at PharmExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of PharmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.